Welcome to SocialCast, the weekly podcast talking about crippling societal issues in the United States and how socialism offers remedies to them. SocialCast publishes a new episode every Sunday, so make sure to add us to your podcast library to be notified of new content. Hey there, welcome back to SocialCast. I hope you're doing really well today. I'm your host, Derek, and I spent last night conducting a seance to communicate with the ghost of Betty Page to prepare for this episode. Today, I'm going to be talking about the Overton window, how it influences public perception of policy, how we can see the window has shifted in the last few decades, and the role the Overton window has played in reducing us to a single political party with two branches in the United States. As a reminder, each episode of SocialCast will build on previous episodes. If you haven't already, we definitely suggest listening to episode 1 before jumping into this new episode. Named after Joseph P. Overton, the Overton window is a scale for determining whether policy proposals might be too radical for society to accept at any point in time. If you think of our politics as a traditional x-y-axis graph, we've got progressivism on the left end of the x-axis and conservatism on the right. Along the y-axis, we have totalitarianism at the top and anarchism at the bottom, The Overton window flows along both axes, sometimes changing size to encompass more varied viewpoints. The window is a way to gauge where social approval can be anticipated to be as far as policy is concerned. And while politicians talk a lot about shifting the Overton window, their real responsibility is to detect where the window is and advocate policy within it. In reality, there are three main ways the window moves along the political graph none of which directly rely on a specific politician. Crisis, gradual persuasion, or a charismatic salesman. Two examples of the Overton window shifting after a crisis are the Great Depression and the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Between 1933 and 1939, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt introduced New Deal legislation to help relieve and recover from the Great Depression. These programs focused on providing support for farmers, the unemployed, youth, and the elderly. New Deal programs were seen as very progressive for the time and were also big spender items empowered by a Democratic majority in both houses of Congress. Programs that began as part of the New Deal, such as Social Security or the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, persist to this day. Alternately, after the September 11th terrorist attacks, we saw the Overton window shift jarringly towards both conservatism and authoritarianism. Americans were more than happy to accept things like the Travel Safety Administration or the Patriot Act, both of which have rather large personal freedom costs in the interest of national security. Gradual persuasion can be seen very recently shifting the Overton window. Since the Stonewall riots in the 1960s, LGBTQ individuals have fought a long and sometimes dangerous battle to be recognized as equal members of American society. This fight started with the goal of simple tolerance, the desire to exist without being persecuted. Over time, as society has become more comfortable with the existence of LGBTQ folks, the goalpost has shifted, first to acceptance, then understanding, and more recently, marriage equality. In much the same way that interracial marriage permanently changed society by shifting the Overton window towards progressivism and anarchy, or in this case more accurately, personal freedom, the shift in public perception around the LGBTQ community seems to be permanent, as evidenced by the pushback Donald Trump received when he tried and failed to ban transgender members of the military. 
The final Overton window shifter is the charismatic salesman. The best recent example of this mover is President Ronald Reagan. During his tenure, Reagan's biggest act was to cut the upper end of the income tax spectrum. After a sustained Democratic majority in Congress for decades after World War II and the Great Depression, the highest earners in the country were subject to an almost 70% income tax rate. This funded social programs like the Social Security Administration. Reagan, however, brought that tax rate down to around 38%, an almost 50% cut. He sold this massive tax cut under the auspices of trickle-down economics something we now know to be patently false, but which was exceedingly popular in the 1980s. In persuading people to let him cut the highest end of the income tax rate, Reagan shifted the Overton window towards its conservative end. As for the window itself, there is generally accepted to be a spectrum of opinion along a tertiary axis from more freedom to less freedom that the window travels, a concept that political commentator Joshua Trevino describes as starting at more freedoms unacceptable and then traveling to radical, acceptable, sensible, popular, and finally landing on policy before reversing and building down to less freedoms unacceptable. The Overton window encompasses ideas ranging from more freedoms acceptable to less freedoms acceptable, in much the same way that more conservative political viewpoints necessarily preclude the possibility of holding more progressive views on any given issue and vice versa. As the Overton window shifts between more freedom and less freedom, we find policy to sound more or less radical depending on its position. Where the window lies along our political X and Y axes determines what policy proposals politicians can pursue while still maintaining favor with the general public. Over the last five years, the internet and broader society at large has seen a surge of far-right groups. These groups have played a large role in shifting the Overton window to the right. It's difficult to pinpoint a single catalyst for this transition, but we can say for certain that groups like Patriot Prayer, The Proud Boys, and QAnon have all played an oversized role in shifting public perception towards both conservatism and authoritarianism. Recently, we've seen the effects of the Overton window in action in a number of cities across the country. Portland, Seattle, Los Angeles, Miami, New York City, and others saw an incursion by federal agents directed by the president to protect federal property. Donald Trump seemed to be responding to a crisis, but in reality, this was the charismatic salesman. Amongst right-leaning people, this was well-received, a necessary response to civil unrest, the perceived crisis. Progressives, however, saw these actions as a clear sign of a descent into fascism by an administration that has already proven that it doesn't think the rules apply to it. Savvy observers noted that Trump's tactics here were largely met with positive response by mainstream media outlets, but that independent media was infinitely more critical of these unidentified troops. Here, we can see an indication of the current position of the Overton window. Mainstream media portrayed these armed invasions of cities to harass, abuse, and arrest people positively, editing footage of protests to show scenes of violence against law enforcement officials. Public sentiment largely followed the sentiment these narratives were designed to perpetrate. On the other side of that narrative, however, independent media outlets and private citizens who recorded the actions of these troops when initiating conflict with protesters didn't have snappy editing. These accounts were live-streamed directly from protests as they happened. 
They created a counter message to the narrative of mainstream media that leftists grabbed a hold of as they rallied and fought harder against perceived fascism in American cities. In this, we can determine that the Overton window is currently situated close to the less freedom end of the acceptability window and is oriented on the conservative end of the x-axis and the authoritarian end of the y-axis. This is demonstrated by the ease with which mainstream media cultivated feelings of acceptance of clearly fascist behavior and actions in the general public. During this time, mayors of these invaded cities offered resounding rebuke of Trump's tactics, questioning both the appropriateness and legality of his actions, and in so doing, opened themselves up to ridicule from fascist and fascist-adjacent right-wingers who perpetuated the narrative of violent rioters. Since the 9-11 terrorist attacks, the Overton window has largely remained on the more conservative end of the political spectrum. There have been a few notable exceptions where the window seemingly shifted or expanded, primarily marriage equality and the Affordable Care Act, but policymaking has been pretty solidly conservative. A Republican majority in the Senate has helped to stave off more progressive legislation, with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell literally sitting on legislation passed by the House. Voted into majority in the 2014 midterm elections, this was the first time since 1931 that Republicans have held a majority in the Senate. McConnell and the Republican-led Senate have consistently and continuously refused to vote on any even remotely progressive legislation because they are ideologically opposed to it. In this way, Republicans have fostered keeping the Overton window on the more conservative end of the spectrum, making progressive policy proposals sound more and more radical, which also serves them because it makes their own policy seem reasonable. The trouble here is that the Republican Party has been moving farther and farther towards the far right end of the conservative spectrum, and the Democratic Party has been chasing after them. This is why, even though President Barack Obama or presidential nominee Joe Biden are labeled as Democrats, they are closer politically to Republicans than they are to progressives. The closest the United States comes currently to true leftist politicians are Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, and Rashida Tlaib. Although it's very important to note that these representatives would almost certainly be considered closer to centrists in a European government with true progressives. What this endless race to the conservative end of the political spectrum has accomplished is that we now have a single conservative party in the United States that has two branches, one that's far right and another that's center right. And because all of our politicians, save Bernie Sanders and the squad, are on or closer to the right end of the spectrum, any progressive policy is going to seem radical, despite the fact that it really isn't. Now, most functional democracies in Europe, including Germany, France, and Iceland, as well as countries in South America like Brazil and Argentina and Asia, like India and Indonesia, have a multi-party system, as opposed to the two-party system we use in the United States. This provides a great deal of balance to the political system in those countries by not allowing things to become as unbalanced as we see them in America today. Contrary to that, single-party systems similar to what we're currently living under exist in only seven countries across the world. China, North Korea, Vietnam, Cuba, Eritrea, Western Sahara, Burma, and Laos. Additionally, a multi-party system also leads to more cooperation between parties, 
In Germany, for instance, grand coalitions have formed from sometimes disparate parties four times since the Second World War, including both traditionalist Christian parties and socialist parties. Another thing that this race to the right has caused, according to Matthew Booten, senior editor at politic-ed.com, is that the United States is the 13th most conservative country in the world, joining such illustrious authoritarian paradises as Russia, Yemen, the Ukraine, Vatican City, China, and Saudi Arabia. Clearly, the Overton window needs to be shifted back towards the left in order to restore something approaching balance in this country and reinvest in American citizens, but how do we accomplish that? One of the first and most obvious steps is to vote in progressive candidates. Because of the way our presidential elections are currently set up, starting at the top isn't a viable answer. Instead, we must start by voting in down-ballot progressives. This means voting for progressive candidates for local, county, and statewide offices, as well as state senators and representatives to send to Washington, D.C. This can also mean lobbying for progressive legislation. A unique facet of the U.S. election system is that citizens can start a ballot initiative, independent of political representatives. In most states, you need simply take a ballot proposal to the Secretary of State or whoever is in charge of statewide elections, and you can start a petition to get that proposal on the ballot for everyone to vote on. Another popular tactic is to make your progressive voice heard at local and statewide meetings. Most city councils have listening sessions or allow for public input. Typically, the majority of folks that show up to these events are conservative voices. Having progressive voters show up and offer an additional viewpoint can be very powerful. That's all I've got for today. Tune in next Sunday when we'll be talking all about crime and decriminalization. Have a great week and take good care of each other. It's the socialist way, after all. Thank you for joining us for this week's SocialCast. Join the conversation with us on social media. Find us on Facebook under SocialCast Podcast and on Twitter at SocialCast Pod. If you're interested in supporting SocialCast, you can find us on Patreon. 